On the screen is our series text. I hope it's uh, becoming very familiar by now. We know that these are some of Jesus' final words to his first followers. We find more of or the rest of his final words as, as is recorded, at least in Scripture, for us in the first chapter of Acts. As Jesus is preparing to, to return to the Father, he's commissioning them to the activity of their lives. Capital T, capital H, capital E. The activity of their lives. Not just an activity, not just some activity. That really struck me this week. His intention was that the disciple making would be central in everything that they do for the rest of their lives. It was not a part-time gig. Jesus did not intend for it to be occasional. He expected it to be the priority of, of their lives. He expected that his followers would make him known and teach others to do the same every day for the rest of their lives. And we've learned that his words are, I think, best, maybe most clearly understood through the rabbi-disciple paradigm or model in that first century. It was the goal of every young man who was invited to follow a rabbi. Sorry, ladies, it was only men in that day. Uh, But today, the invitation is wide open uh, to be a follower of Rabbi Jesus. The goal of the follower in that first century was to become just like the rabbi that he followed. Just like. It was a teacher-student relationship. We know that the Greek word, we translate disciple, uh, is, is rooted in the, the word learner. So when we speak of disciple-making, the very word implies emotional, or excuse me, intentional teaching. Intentional teaching to, to educate, to help someone understand. Jesus was exhorting his disciples to be intentional about going into the world and making more disciples who would follow him. I don't know about you, but this series has been such a duh reminder for me. This is the life we're called to. As followers of Jesus, he calls us to be his disciples who are making more disciples. And and that doesn't mean that we are not in the vocations for which he has gifted us and given us abilities and, and through which we make our living. But the challenge for us is to remember that that the priority of our heart is to be a disciple of Jesus in that place, wherever it may be, with whomever is around us, and always, always looking for those opportunities through words, through actions. I, I think that's the greatest challenge for us modern folk, if you will, is to realize that, that disciple-making is the priority for his people. We've learned haven't we, that the words go, it carries a present, active, recurring sense so that it's, it's as you're going. So it's the idea of as you go through life on a daily basis, as you're on your way to the store, as you're on your way to school, as you're in school, as you're at work and in work, surrounded by those who work there with you, as you go about those daily activities and the responsibilities that are a part of that, You're always looking. We're always looking for opportunities to speak into someone's life about Jesus. 
And that's really what this series is all about. Karen, if we can put that second slide up. <clears throat> Ever seen this before? For those of you who are surprised, and you could be because maybe you haven't been around that long, this is Applewood's mission statement. For almost 25 years, <clears throat> this statement is what we have said we are about as a church. Let's say it together, shall we? Applewood Community Church exists to honor God by developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's, that's who we say we are about. It's a great statement, I think, of, of purpose. I know that, that the desire in creating that by those who prayerfully and, and, and patiently waited upon the Lord to, to bring that into, into existence some 25 years ago, they, uh, they intended to honor Jesus with that statement. And it reminds us to live in obedience to his command, to make disciples of all people, no matter their color, their ethnicity, their religion, their age, their gender, their lifestyle choices. None of that stuff matters in the mind of Jesus. What matters is that they come to know him and that they commit themselves to a life of following after him. Jesus had everyone in mind when he gave that command. So that's what we're to be about as we, in the words of Acts 1, live our lives in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, which, by the way, is West Papua, Indonesia, where my friend Jerob is from. The ends of the earth, brother. The ends of the earth. And I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring hearts here at Applewood Community Church. Amongst members of the family, there is a growing desire to renew our focus upon making disciples, to, to become more intentional in doing what Jesus has commanded us to do. And man, I just think that is so exciting because I need that reminder and I need to do it with you. Now remember, the goal, this should probably go without saying, but maybe I'm saying this to myself and not you, but if the shoe fits, slip it on. Remember, the goal in this series is to see people become more like who? Oh, yeah, that's right. To see people become more like Jesus. To, to see them follow after Jesus. It's not even to see them become more like who we think Jesus is. Or, dare I say, who we want Jesus to be. It's to see them become more like Jesus. Living into the kingdom values that Jesus taught and lived, and oh man, are those challenging. And, and that's, that's what we need to hear. That's what we need to remember. And so in order to be like Jesus ourselves so that we can take that Jesus to others, we need to know him. We need to spend time with him. That means that we are committed to spending time with him in the word and in prayer and uh, in the presence of the Spirit, as we listen to His Spirit living in us, leading, prompting, guiding, convicting when necessary, so that every moment, in every decision of every day, we are surrendered to His leadership. Doesn't that sound radical? 
sounds crazy. And, and, and let's be honest. Let's be honest. We, we, I, we all struggle with, well, how do I work that out? You know, what if I get in trouble? Well, you will. What if people think you're weird? They will. What if people don't like Jesus? That They won't. But when did that ever matter to Jesus? And it didn't matter to him when he said these things to his followers. <clears throat> Man, folks, that's where we're at. And I think, I think the most challenging thing that we've learned so far is that if you've committed your life to Jesus, if you are his follower and you know that, then you're filled with the Spirit. According to the words of Scripture, it is a gift from God that you have been given as a follower of Christ. And here's the thing. We have everything that we need. Isn't that a bummer? Everything that we need. So what that means is that we speak out of our experience with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that, that we don't grow in our experience, that that's not enriched by, by more education and learning from others and being with others and, 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 and worship and, and all those things that are, that are an important part of our lives as, as followers of Christ. But if, if we wait to learn enough in order to make us feel better and more confident as a disciple maker, then it's probably not going to happen. Learning and growing, maturing as follower Jesus is important, but we have to start somewhere. We all have what we need to do, no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus. Because remember, we've said discipleship starts with somebody being a follower and then it just grows as that person matures and deepens in Christ. But it's got to start someplace. And so we're all at different places in that, as well as those with whom we enter into relationship with and, and, and disciple and walk along with. Remember the story of Peter and John in Acts 4? We looked at that briefly. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they wouldn't shut up about Jesus. And the authority said, shut up. And they said, no. And we're sorry that this offends you. Well, they really didn't even say they were sorry that they were offended. They, they knew they were. They didn't have to, to, to speak that out. But they said, you, you decide if it's more important to obey God or to obey you we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And the astonished authorities took note that these ordinary, unschooled men had been with Jesus. They had everything that they needed. And so do we. And remember that Jesus said all authority on heaven and on earth is his. And remember why that's important? Two realms of, of our experience. The heavenlies... That's the place, I think, and, and, and earth as well. They're, they're the places where sources of fear come from. The fear that makes us not to want to live boldly as, as followers of Jesus um, and to give ourselves to the primary task of, of teaching and modeling for others to do the same. In the language of Ephesians, remember Ephesians 6, the heavenly realm is the dwelling place of rulers and authorities, powers of darkness, spiritual forces, and all those other things that go bump in the night. And it's, it's the place where the battle for the souls of people begin. And I believe it's the source of power behind all those things that cause fear and doubt and worry and selfishness that keep us from following the Spirit's lead as disciples of Jesus. And the earth is where that, gives, that gets lived out. And so all authority belongs to Jesus in the heavens and on earth. 
And he promises to be with us wherever we go, wherever we are, as we partner with the Holy Spirit in making disciples, teaching them everything about Jesus and what he taught. Okay. On the screen, those original words again, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a promise. I'm going to ask you to talk with your neighbor before we even read our text this morning. I know I've broken the rules for all of you for whom that kind of pushes you out of your box. You'll be all right. Why does baptism of new disciples come before teaching them? In the words of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Why? Why does Jesus say baptism before teaching them? See what your neighbor thinks. Okay, we ready to talk about it? Some of you are are thinking to yourself, I don't know. Neither do I. I have some ideas. Of course I do. I've always got ideas. What do you think? At least in our evangelical tradition. <laughs> okay. Okay. Quite possible. Quite possible. Who else? Okay. I like that too. What else? Okay. Which is, did you, did you hear, Doug? You know, we, we don't necessarily do it in that order. We want people to, to understand. And so there's teaching uh, that, that, so when they are baptized, they, they fully understand. And that's certainly consistent with, with the, the early centuries. In Can you imagine that? He was not a Southern Baptist. Shame on him. You're the second person who has said that, you know. The public piece makes us a little uncomfortable, don't you think, Lee? A question about the question. Is Lee allowed to ask a question about the question? No, people are saying no. <laughs> but you don't care. <laughs> Church chairman doesn't care. Neither am I. <laughs> There's just all... Ca- By the way, there is lots of discussion in, in the commentaries about... What, what, what is this about? Let's, let's turn to our text and let's read it. It's from Matthew chapter 3, the story of Jesus' baptism. <clears throat> the context is John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he is preaching a baptism of repentance and the Sadducees and the Pharisees show up and he basically reams them and says, who warned you about the coming judgment, you brood of vipers? And then he says equally encouraging words by saying to them, you need to produce fruit that's in keeping with repentance. In other words, he says to the religious authorities of the day, you've got it wrong. He scored a lot of points that day. Let's stand and and then read what, uh, what comes next. So here we go. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Okay. Many scholars feel that John the Baptist was a member of what we know is called the Qumran community. They were an ascetic desert sect, and they're probably best known because they were the ones that created the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the first century, Judaism, in the Judaism of the day, baptism was a ceremony that had to do with with cleansing from ritual impurities. And, And there was a lot of that that went on uh, in, in the daily routine of the people. It was, it was kind of patterned after the requirements of the book of Leviticus, and it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a washing for, for righteousness. Uh, the idea was a, a cleansing of impurity. Now, we know that the Qumran community did this. Uh, they, they baptized with the idea of ritual purity, but there, there's, a, there's a twist on their understanding of the meaning of baptism. In a scroll that's called a manual of discipline, it's kind of like a a rule of life if you are part of that community, it clearly states that a person could not become clean if they failed to obey God's commandment. In other words, it's the idea that John is rebuking in the Pharisees There is a sense in which the heart says, I can do this because I can always get baptized for for purity. Does that make sense? In the the manual of discipline from the the Essenes and the Qumran community, it says this, for it is through the spirit of God's true counsel concerning the ways of a person that all of their sins be expiated or cleansed or forgiven, washed away. And when a person's flesh is sprinkled with purifying water, it shall be made clean by the humble submission of his soul to all the precepts of God. Did you hear that? Humble submission of his soul to all the precepts of God. What did the religious leaders of the day so often lack? Humility. Jesus told a story about that. The one who was righteous in himself versus the one who just begged God to to have mercy and grace on him because he was a sinner. That's the theme that is picked up in in this manual of discipline. In, In other words, righteousness only comes from God. We know that. And baptism signifies the intention of a person to live in humble obedience or submission to all that God 
requires. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. John believed that true righteousness comes from God alone, and obedience to the laws of God show a humble love for God, a a genuine love for God, not, not a disregard. And I think this is what's behind John's calling out, as I mentioned, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, telling them to produce fruit in keeping, excuse me, with their repentance and to not think that they are okay just because, as he says earlier in the text, they claim to have Abraham as their father. And and they, we know, would rely on, on spiritual or, excuse me, ritual washing. In other words, John is saying to them that the actions of your daily life, I think, this is what John is driving at, demonstrate to whom a person's heart truly belongs. Their ritual cleansing ceremonies, apart from repentance, were just a bath. That's all they were. <clears throat> because their hearts were, at least in many instances, far from God. So John's baptism was one of repentance. He wanted people to humble themselves and prepare for the one who would be coming to take away their sins, washing them clean once and for all. John, the one who identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Prepare for this one who is coming. And I think that this is the idea behind Paul's words to the Corinthians, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, so that he would become the righteousness of God. That is what Jesus... Oh, Sherry, bless you. Thank you. It was in a coffee cup. I got excited. Excuse me. I don't know what this is about. We were in a more charismatic place. You, they'd say that there's there's a demon in my throat. <coughs> it's called phlegm. So, disregard those comments. That was completely unnecessary. Jesus, I think that's what Jesus meant when he convinced John to baptize him, baptize him that that he was demonstrating a a, a humble heart. Listen to this one closely. Jesus was demonstrating publicly before those who were around, and he always had people following him, a humility of heart to be submitted to the will of his Father. Jesus said, we have to do this so that that righteousness is, is fulfilled or made complete, so that the righteousness of God in his son, was made complete as his son surrendered his life in his earthly form to the will of his father. Are you with me so far? We know that that's what Jesus' life was about. It was just this continuous surrender to the will of his father. He said that. He told his followers he had come to do the will of his father, and he, had, he would only speak, he would only act according to the father's plan. 
And when he commissioned his followers to go into the world baptizing, I think this is what he had in mind. To be honest, I, I don't know that the chronology is necessarily that important. Um, the early church chose, to, as Doug was mentioning, to, to baptize people after a year, sometimes two years, of a, a catechism track, an, an educational program, a class that culminated for many in baptism on Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> but here's what I'm convinced of. Both are absolutely essential for the disciple of Jesus, and the sooner, the better. The sooner, the better. If we hear these words through that first century lens of rabbi-disciple relationship, then, then we hear them as, as a mandate for ourselves and, and as, as a mandate for all who are in a discipling relationship. That a decision to follow Jesus, <clears throat> and this I think is really where the, the rubber hits the road and the gospel starts to meddle in our lives. The decision to follow Jesus is a life changer. <clears throat> How many of you, I'm just curious, oh, you, don't even, don't, you shouldn't raise your hands, we shouldn't do that. I'm just curious if we were to talk about this, how many of us would, would remember being told difficult, challenging things about what it means to follow Jesus before we committed our lives to following Jesus? My suspicion would be that it would be a pretty low percentage. That, that the cost of discipleship perhaps wasn't laid out <clears throat> as clearly as Jesus wants it laid out. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And, and, and we're going to look some more at some of those commands. Jesus says some really hard things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that a call to follow Jesus is a call to die. Golly, do we communicate the seriousness of a choice to follow Jesus both in our words to others and in the actions of our own life that, that, that others who are watching our lives in relationship with us might observe? Two things are, are for sure. To be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be perfectly clear about the God to whom we are committing our lives. He's not just any old God. He's not just some God. Christian baptism is an embrace of the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the reason that that's important is because baptism celebrates the action of salvation that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all partner up in to make happen in our lives. And so baptism embraces the fullness of God, the wonder of God, the mystery and the amazing grace of God that comes into our lives when we place our faith in Jesus. And, <clears throat> and that's no small change, biblically speaking. We move from being objects of wrath, that's Ephesians 2 language, to children of God. That's Romans 8 language. But I think it comes with a cost. And I think this is the important reminder to us 
of baptism. As Jesus modeled a surrendered heart to his Father's will and plan for his human life on earth, so when we are baptized, we are modeling for others a heart that is surrendered and says, this life is no longer my own. If the disciple of Jesus is going to be like his or her master, then they've got to be made aware of the cost for following Jesus. And and the, the big cost is that their life's not their own any longer. And that's where teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands, that's where it begins. I think it must be taught both before and after baptism. They're, they're, they're a package deal. And, and as two or three people said this morning, it's, it's a public statement. That's so important, I think. It was certainly public in Jesus' day. It was often public in the life of the early church. And, and it, was, it was a declaration. It was many times a, a, a defiance of the status quo. Too often, I think, we, we can. We don't necessarily mean to, but we can soften the challenging words of Jesus. Jesus didn't soften his words. He did not expect his disciples to soften or lessen the seriousness of being his follower to anyone that they discipled. There is a mission agency that I read about this week called Asian Access, or A2. They're a Christian missions agency in South Asia. And it's interesting, they've they've listed a series of questions. They they work to to plant churches, and they're working with indigenous peoples to, to educate and grow them, and they become church planters. They've listed a series of questions that they ask new believers who are considering baptism. Now, they don't list any of the countries, and they say that's because of safety concerns. But they say this. The following seven questions serve as a reality check for what new followers of Jesus might experience if they decide to go public with their decision to follow Jesus. You ready for this? First of all, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Boy, that's huge in many countries. Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you Forgive them and share the love of Christ with them. Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Oh, sure. Sign me up. Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Wow. Wow. Anybody ask you those questions before you were baptized? <laughs> Nobody asked me that. I, I, I've never asked anybody that. I think I'm going to start. <clears throat> Sisters and brothers, there is just no denying that Jesus intended for a commitment to him 
to be an all-consuming, life-changing commitment. And, and I think the, the only way that, that I really know how to understand that is to open my life and my heart to the Spirit of God and to say, I, I haven't lived like this. And by your grace and by your strength, I want a better understanding of what that looks like in my life. Some of you know. Some of you know the hardships of, of making a statement for Jesus. Some of you know the rejection of family and persecution of others. <clears throat> and to those, Jesus says, happy are you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake. And people say all kinds of things, do all kinds of harsh things against you. It seems to me that effective disciples are individuals who are willing to hear the words of Jesus, look at the example of his life, and count the cost. And as we gather this morning at the communion table, it's a table that reminds us of great cost, of great sacrifice. Um, And... And it could be that this is a good morning for any of us here who, who have never really considered that, man, a call to Jesus is a call to die, to die to myself, to die to, die to my desires. And it's, it's not a one and done. It's got to happen every day, often. But the Spirit, the Spirit empowers us to do that. And I think that as we are empowered to live into that, we begin to discover the the joy that the disciples had in those early days of of seeing Jesus and his spirit in them, through them, through others do amazing things in touching lives and and changing lives because they they were all in, at least from from the best of what we can tell in the gospel record. Doesn't mean that they weren't human, that they didn't have days thinking, wow, this is really hard. But I think the, the majority vote was, yeah, yeah, there is there's such great joy, such great satisfaction, such great reward in being all in, counting the cost and what that means to follow Jesus. So as we come to the table this morning, I want to invite you to come as a follower of Jesus. To come and to remember who it is that invites you to this table. And to remember the the cost of your life in Christ that is represented by this table. And maybe it's opportunity this morning to ready yourself before coming uh, to just... Remember and, and perhaps speak some, some words of, of desire and intent and commitment uh, that you want the Holy Spirit to empower in your life um, as you come to the table and celebrate. So, <clears throat> brothers and sisters... <clears throat>